How you doing, Kai? I'm doing good. It's good to see you. I'm used to that coming on because of my nonprofit, and I was like, I want to make sure I'm not recording this man on my end. <laughs> also, it's why my name in the corner is Climate for Change and not Kai. <laughs> it's fine. It doesn't bother me. It's a good reminder for the people of, know, right? of what you're up to. <laughs> yeah, how you been? I'm good. Um, I I wish I had a better excuse for being late. I was just talking to my mom on the phone for too long and I lost track of time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid excuse. How's your mom doing? My mom's doing pretty well. Uh, I think she's headed into work. And so um, she was like, just like, Telling me what was going on with her day. I don't know. I talked to my mom like seven times a day. <laughs> it's like not it's uncommon <laughs> just uh-huh. to pick up the phone, talk about anything random. So, <laughs> right on. Nice man. Well, it's good to see you again. I'm excited to catch up with you. It's been it's been a while since our last uh, conversation. Yeah, it has been a while. I a couple guess, years. What the pandemic? It feels that feels like literally a world away. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I've got a few things I want to dive into with you today. Uh, Life of Villains, I'm really excited to hear about that. And then I want to hear about your trip to Jamaica. And I want to hear what's going on with Climbing for Change. I know you're always doing really good stuff in the world with that. Um, but first off, I was just looking at your Instagram. And one of your most recent posts said that uh, it's about time to lace up your shoes and go try your next project. And Looks like you're maybe headed back out to the hurricane. So tell me about your upcoming trip. Are you training for something right now? You got a trip coming up soon? I might be. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I usually don't like to name my projects until I'm at least close enough to think that it's feasible. So mm. I will, I won't name it yet, but yeah. I will say that if I'm able to get some good work on it, then it would definitely be like the hardest thing I've done by it. A long shot. Okay. So I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be really fun. Nice. And I think I, I head out to start working on it like literally this weekend. So it should be exciting. Hell yeah. Is this something I, yeah, I'm not trying to squeeze the details out of you, but is this something you've tried before or is this something new? Not why. So I put a few tries into it um, a few, a couple months ago, but I didn't like actually get to like work it, work it because I just, I have, I balance a lot of hats in life. And so I'll set aside a time and do a project. And then it's like, okay, well, now I got to go back and do this thing for Climate for Change. Or now I have to do this thing for, you know, I don't know, just ask Kyle Leitner. Like, I feel like I, I balance some things. So it's like my, my schedule can get a little bit tight. And so yeah. I just didn't get to spend as much time on it in the fall that I wanted to. But I'm going to get pretty much a whole month to try it. Nice. Uh, in February. So I'm pretty excited. It's cool to hear that because I've had the thought with you, like, what could this man do if he actually had like a month or, you know, a long period of time to try some of these projects? Because like Life of Villains, you know, it's it's 9A, like quite a few people have done it at this point. But at the same time, like you're doing these things in like a week or two, you know, you don't have very much time on these trips. And it's just so impressive that you can climb one of the hardest routes in the country in a handful of climbing days like that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what you can do if you give yourself a month. Yeah, that'll be really fun to, to follow along. Um, can I ask you, yeah. why is it important to you to kind of keep your cards close to your chest? Is it pressure? Is it just like, you know, once it's, once it's out there, people know, and that feels like external pressure for you, or is it something else? I think it's more so like self-preservation, because for me, 
it's like I I really uh, enjoy the process of like pushing myself to my limits and like you know training for something. I mean, it's it's literally the structure of my life since I was a kid, and so for me, it's it's never really been about you know you know placing it all out there because I feel like once I um, like speak it out to the world and it's like okay like um oh, like now it's like okay i have to do it now you know mm. whereas to me it's like i like to keep things at my own pace so that i i don't put too much pressure even on myself uh and then you know it gets to the point where like something could happen anything could happen with these projects but i just like to kind of like you know build it up for myself before i start announcing it to other people mm-hmm. kind of that makes any sense yeah it does it's like like even with the life of villains it's like i i didn't tell anybody that i was trading for anything at all actually <laughs> i just was like okay like this is the project that i named i think it's doable let me start training for it like structured it structured it out and then i went out for the period and once i thought it was doable then i started talking about it because it's like i don't like to you know count my eggs before they hatch as mm. they say Right, right, totally. Uh, you said on Instagram that this route was an absolute emotional roller coaster. Can you tell me about that? That uh, that definitely piqued my curiosity. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's so different doing outdoor projecting than it is doing competitions, which is what I've been most used to in my life, even though I haven't really done them consistently in a while. But in competition, it's just like you you train, you structure a program, and then it's your responsibility to show up on competition day with all the elements in line, physically, mentally, emotionally, and everything is typically consistent for everyone else. And so, you know, if, if you're fit enough and prepared enough, you can usually somewhat predict how well you're going to do on the day. But when you go outdoor climbing, there's so many factors that are just not in your control. I mean, you have the weather, humidity you know like like the rock could break like and change the composition of the roof and like literally like all those things happened <laughs> uh on life of villains and so it was frustrating going there in a weekend being like okay like like i'm ready to go in for the kill like i'm ready to send and then everything's falling apart you know like the conditions change like 180 and the climb just feels unrecognizable and it's like this frustrating process of like I I can I can handle when I'm not ready, but when everything else is hindering the process, it was like a new level of frustration that like I don't really think I ever really had the process like that before. Like it was like like maddening. Like <laughs> it's funny. Like you you could ask Ben. Like I the day before I sent, I came off the climb and I just felt like deranged. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like I I have to do this route. I like. And so I was really glad that I was kind of able to like tap into that zone that I, I haven't really felt in a really long time. Like that level of like, you know, connectiveness where like mentally you're on, physically you're on. It's like, it almost feels like impossible for it not to happen. Mm. Like that's like a, it's like a full body connection that like I haven't really felt since I was competing. So it felt good to tap into that once again. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. And yeah, Ben Hanna, for people that, that didn't pick that up, uh, was your climbing partner on that one. Looks like you guys had a really good time out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've known Ben like my whole life since we were kids and he had a purple mohawk. So <laughs> uh, it was it was cool to reconnect with Ben to do this route. Yeah, he's always got something rad going on with his hair. <laughs> um, that guy yeah, seems I know. like he knows it, it how to... It depends on how he feels on the day. 
Right on. Yeah, I respect that. That's cool. Um, you also wrote, this is from a different post. After all these years, I had almost given up on myself. I'd almost completely given up on myself. Um, completing Life of Villains means more to me than just sending a route. It represents a personal and psychological win I needed for myself. And then, um, so crazy, man. You you talked about like nine years ago, you sent your first 514D Aravea in Spain and the picture of you on Life of Villains. And then the next slide is the picture of you at 15 years old climbing Aravea. And it's just like, wow, look at that transformation and how... I mean, this is like a story that we talked about in our last podcast, and it's something that I've talked about in my own personal journey is kind of having this body transformation. Like there was me when I lived at Smith Rock and weighed 140 pounds and was trying to climb 514. And then there's me now at 170, 170 pounds climbing, you know, in Waco and trying to climb hard boulders and stuff. And and I feel better, but it has been like having to relearn how to climb in a different make and model, you know, like a different body. And uh it must be so empowering and gratifying to have climbed a route that's as hard as you've ever climbed um, in this body. Because I know you, you had. It sounds like you had some hangups around that. Like you didn't believe that that would ever be possible um, the way you look now. I mean, like that photo of you. Uh, one of one of the posts about life of villains. You're like, you know, kind of doing that roll through move. You know, you're doing like a drop knee and kind of rolling through, and you're just like. You look like LeBron James. You've got the short hair and the beard. You just look freaking jacked. It's just like, dude, this guy could play in the NBA and he's one of the best rock climbers in the country. That is pretty sick. It's something we haven't seen before. So um, how did that part of it feel? Tell me a little bit more about that feeling of almost having completely given up on yourself and, and what this route meant to you on that deeper level. Um, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> um, well, I think for me, and also like a general misconception, I think it's the fact that like, I mean, to, I guess, pick apart, you know, how my, like my body climbs in the sport at a different size, isn't really a talking point for even like, even like just body image issues. Like I've never thought that I wasn't fit or I didn't, you know, you know or any of those things like negative about myself. It's just that statistically, you know, the mold of the sport has always been within a certain height range, within, you know, a certain weight goal. And it's so common in climbing that it's like once you leave that, you know, ideal Goldilocks zone almost, it's it, it's like almost like not only just like mechanically perhaps a bit harder, but also, you know, people just don't believe that it's possible to do hard things at those sizes and so uh, and, and, he, and at a young age it was very clear that i was going to be tall that i was going to have a stockier build i mean there's not a single man on my mom or my dad's side of the family that stands like under six feet really like six two my dad's like six nine wow. and so it's like i was going to be tall i was going to be muscular it's just what it was going to be uh but i think as a kid uh, it was really hard to rationalize, like having to con constantly switch, you know, my styles of climbing and, you know, my approach to climbing and even my approach to training because it all changes. I feel like as like I was, you know, 
exponentially growing, it was like, there's just certain training techniques that didn't work for me anymore. And like, you know, I couldn't just walk into the gym and just hammer out the training for four or five hours anymore and then walk out of the gym. It was like, no, like I get injured. Like, like I have to do a lot more prep and I have to be a lot more cognizant of my, my tendons and my, my joints and everything. And, you know, I had a lot of random injuries in the middle of my growing process just because it was like everything is elongating, everything's stretching much more than uh, my peers. And so I just I had to really slow down. And as someone who, for me, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm such a perfectionist. Like, I'm always just like, everything has to be right. Everything has to be perfect. Like, the switch up of things, when they're not in my control, it like really, really bothers me. And so mm. it was really hard mentally to, to process that. But I think for me, I just had to come to a realization eventually that it's like, I cannot worry about the things that I cannot control. Mm. I have to take things day by day. I have to structure my own process based on my own needs. And if it ends up being enough, that's fine. If it, is, if it ends up not being enough, that's also fine. Because at the end of the day, climbing hard roots is not life or death. <laughs> like the world keeps spinning. The work that I do with Climate for Change will continue on. And I think I found fulfillment in other outlets of the sport in which it's like, it's one of those things where like climbing hard is like, you know, fulfilling for me personally, perhaps, but it's just, it's not the end all be all. Mm. And so by the time I, you know, had gone up to life of villains, I just felt like physically I was ready, but also like mentally I was ready for the process to be like, it's okay if things don't work out. And likely they did, but also it would have been fine if they didn't. It's just, you gotta, you gotta go with the flow and take things, you know, day by day, you know, training days, you know, exercise by exercise and, you know, just see how you feel. Yeah, that's such a cool mindset and and such a healthy mindset. Yeah, I really really like that. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm curious, kind of talking about like how your approach to climbing has shifted over time, how you've adapted to being taller, being more muscular. Um, I remember in our first conversation, you talked about the importance of flexibility, and you really lean into flexibility and drop knees to get you in these you know sometimes small boxes, different positions and stuff. Um, you, you also talked about lowering your volume. You can't do as much as you used to do. You have to be more cognizant of that. Is there anything else? Like, has, has anything else really helped? Um, any other changes in your approach um, that have made a big difference for you or allowed you to adapt to your body? Because I remember for, for me, you know, I came out of Smith Rock and started traveling and I gained about 30 pounds in like a year. And it was all muscle. I just let myself kind of like grow into the body that I was supposed to be the whole time. You know what I mean? And, um, and I felt stronger in a lot of ways kind of right away, but it took, it took a few years for my joints and connective tissue and things like that to kind of catch up. You know, it's like, imagine, imagine just putting on a 30 pound weight vest and trying not to get injured and climbing all the time. Like it was kind of a rough transition for a while, but but it did happen eventually. I'm I'm wondering if I could have done it quicker if I'd been a little smarter. But any other changes to your kind of general approach or training that have um, been positive and kind of helped you adapt to the body that you have now? The first thing I could say is that I think one of the biggest keys is not rushing the process. Yeah, I feel like you have to like yeah again like take your program based on what you can handle in that moment. And to be honest, I mean for anyone, every, every day that changes a little. You know, depending on, excuse me, depending on a lot of factors, like, you know, 
did you get enough sleep that day? Or are you sore? Or like how your joints and, and tendons are feeling? I feel like this is general idea that you have to push yourself to the limit every single practice every day. And technically that's true, but what that limit is each day isn't the same. Mm. Like what the level you were able to push yourself today before is not the same level perhaps you could push yourself the next day. And I feel like the problem is that when you when you play too close to that line, you risk injuring yourself to a point where you've stopped any gains you could have made because you pushed yourself on a day where that you weren't ready for that. And so I think for me, it's like, I, I have no qualms anymore. Like when I was a kid, like, you know, everything on the program has to get done as scheduled. There are no exceptions. I cannot leave the gym. It would keep me up at night if something was missing. Wow. And now I'm kind of just like, mm, like, I'm not feeling that great. Or, you know, my fingers are feeling a little creaky and, and I just don't feel like pushing it today. Like, it's okay to cut things short and transition to something else. Like, you know, I I, I can't do the hang warning that I planned on doing. So let me go do some core. Or, you know, let me do like another exercise that I feel like I can't handle that day. It's just, you know, adapting to your capabilities like in the moment. Mm. I think that that was very helpful. Um, I feel another thing that was really helpful for me was, uh, I don't know if this is really like, helpful, like a tip that's like tangible, but I I noticed that there's just, there's just a lot of things, a lot of uh, skills that I picked up over the years uh, that kind of came innately and I didn't even realize that I did because my style of climbing is uh, pretty technical. Like I, I, I've always been very aware of like my feet and like my, my flexibility and mobility and like, you know, body awareness. And so I think that as I grew, I just started to, to, to do little things that were different, like utilizing heel hooks more. And, you know, sometimes like most people, especially like they, they teach you that, uh, the techniques of how to elongate yourself, like how to make yourself taller on the wall so you reach holes. But I feel like I also have to teach myself how to be smaller on the walls because sometimes moves don't require all of my length, you know, to, to get to the next hole. Like sometimes I have to put myself in a smaller box to do dynamic movements, but sounds counterintuitive, but it's just sometimes it's required, you know? Mm. So I just feel like, yeah, like I just had to adapt like the technical skills that I use in my arsenal to, to do roots and, like, I don't know. I don't even know if there was really like a, a moment where it was like, this is, this has to change. It was just kind of natural. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. That's great. Um, how to feel to send life of villains. Did you know you were going to do it that it's day? Still- Did you know it when you were starting to climb, like you felt different? Was it a surprise? Did you feel like you climbed it perfectly? How to go and how to feel? I feel so bad for Ben. So what happened was I, the day before uh, I sent, it, it had been after a week of if it just being like awful, awful conditions, like foggy, 80% humidity. It was so warm. It was like, we were so demoralized. And then the day before I sent it, the weather just like opened up, the heavens opened, like, like you know, it dropped from like 80% humidity to like 20. It was wind. It was like 50 degrees out there, you know, everything felt crisp. And I was just like, okay, like I'm going to go up and try and see what happens. So I went up to, to try the roof and I was feeling really good. And as I was going through the crux, one of the little nuggets that was uh, on one of the crux holes just broke. And I was like, oh, that's, like, that's terrible. Like, I don't know what to do now. So I was like, okay, like lower me down a little bit. I'm going to do some of the moves through the crux and like see how it goes. So I, I lowered down like a few moves and, uh, 
for anyone who doesn't know the climb, like the beginning, it's a beginning part that's maybe like 13A and then a, a big drug rest. And then after that drug rest is like the meat of the climb. And so I went back to the drug rest to see if I could actually do the moves anymore, did the moves, and then did the rest of the route all the way to the chains. And I remember going again to the chains and like taking, and Ben was like, you just did the route. And I was like, I know, but I didn't do the route. <laughs> and that's the problem. <laughs> and so I rested, went to go up to try the route again, and I fell going to the last hold, and I just didn't have the energy to try it again, and I was pissed. I was so mad. And I was like, I, I can't leave. It was the last day of the trip. I was supposed to be going home, but I was like, I, I can't leave. Like I have to do this route. So I begged him to let me stay overnight at a hotel. And then uh, the more that morning I hiked up, I did my warm up. I went to Life of Villains and I did it first try. And we Luckily, I, when I clipped those chains, I was like, okay, we can go home now. <laughs> like my, <laughs> my, my, I'm satisfied now. Mm. <laughs> but I think it was just one of those things where like, like, I don't know, like I knew it had to happen at that moment if it was going to happen at all on that trip before Thanksgiving. And so I had to just lock in and it was like a level of, you know, I don't know if it's flow state, but it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't, the, the environment didn't all come together organically, but, but like I made it happen. Like it was like, this has to happen now, no matter what's going on. And I don't have a choice. So I got to commit and get it done. And so it was like one of those mental states like I haven't tapped into since I was in competitions where like, if if, if I'm a little off, so what? Like it's, it's, I'm going to have to just correct it in the moment. And luckily everything just came together. And I feel like once I clipped the chains, it was almost like, like, my mental like kind of cleared from that state. And I was like, wow, like I did it. Like not only did I do decline, but I was able to put myself in a mental space where, you know, success was the only option and I was able to get it done. So I don't know, like this felt like a really like cool moment, full circle. Mm. Yeah. that I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I explained that well. You did. You did. No, that makes a lot of sense. That that does sound like that exact competition mindset you that you've been honing over, you know, most of your career just do or die. Like you get one shot, you got to do it at this moment. Um, yeah, that that's really cool. Did breaking the hold change the route? Did it change the crux or make it harder or? I think that, well, it depends. I think that for me, it didn't change it that much. It made the, the hold feel a little less comfortable. Uh, but I had that route so dialed at that point that it just didn't matter. Uh, I think, however, like if you're a bitch, like, well, not a bit, if you're shorter than me, <laughs> then it could make it a little bit difficult because for, for shorter people, the, the move is a bit more, uh, a bit further, a little more distance. And so having something comfortable to to lurch from could make the difference in difficulty. So I think that it, it could make a difference, but for me personally, it did not. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, congrats again, man. Yeah. Very happy that that worked out for you. And I'm excited to uh, to hear about the next one. Hopefully when it, uh, hopefully in a month or two when it's close and you feel like you can do it, we'll all hear what it is and we'll be rooting for you. Yeah, I'll be, I'm excited about it. It's going to be really fun. Tell me about your trip to Jamaica. How did that come about? Uh, how did that come about? Well, uh, it started... And ended really with uh, my friend Gaz. Um, Gaz is uh, 
was one of the producers, uh, well, not one of, really this, like, the person leading the project in Jamaica in terms of, like, the film project and, like, bringing all the resources together. Because I don't, I don't even want to, like, reduce his title to just being a filmmaker. I mean, that man, like, stepped into this community and, like, really helped bring this project together in terms of, like, the wall and, like, you know, providing resources. And once that was happening he realized how cool of a story it would be and how you know telling the story could bring so much attention and resources to this country that's trying to build themselves up in the sport and so he like he wanted to create a project from the work that he was doing there and so he called me on the phone uh randomly in the fall and he was like hi i have this really cool project this really cool community and i called you not because i want you to be a part part of this project but I kind of need you. <laughs> and I was like, why do you need me? And basically it was saying that, you know, this country is predominantly black and in spaces like that, like I'm well aware of, it's like climbing and outdoor sports really isn't like a, a thing. Like it's something that isn't recognized because it's usually seen as like a white man's sport, something that like doesn't touch within the culture of who we are. And I mean, and when people do do those things, it feels like, you know, they're doing something bad or delinquent or it's mm. not, it's not really associated with anything that's productive. And so he was like, they, we need somebody to, to inspire them that climate can be the complete opposite. Mm. And you're the only example I can really think of. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm out of choice. I called my mom and I told her <laughs> about it. And she was like, she was basically like, yeah, I don't think you have a choice either. <laughs> so um, a lot of things really had to come together perfectly for that uh, project to happen. And all those elements came together really like in the last minute, the last hour. Like I didn't really know if I was really flying to Jamaica until the end of November, beginning of December. And then I was on a flight to Jamaica by like December 9th. Wow. And then I was, you know, in the community, you know, I, I bolted my first route, which was an interesting experience. <laughs> the, um, and, you know, I did my first first ascent. And I think the, the, the coolest part of that project was really just like being um, immersed in the community because Jamaica is such a beautiful country. Like I, I, I tell, I was telling this to guys the whole time I was there. I feel like being in Jamaica feels like Back in 2014, when we discovered Instagram and like everybody wanted to turn the saturation on their photos up to the highest point because no one had ever used it before. <laughs> like, like everything was so bright. Like mm. all the colors were bright. It popped. Everything was, the grass was just greener. The sky was bluer. The people were just more vibrant than like, cool. you know, I had ever really experienced. And I was just like, everything's just bright. People, place, crazy. And so it just, it's almost like you can't not smile while being in Jamaica. It's it's such a, a really cool place in that regard. And so mm. great time, delicious food. And the rock is actually quite good. Like bullet strong. And there's so much of it. You just have to be able to withstand like 85 degree weather in the winter. Whew. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's hot. Yeah. That's hot. <laughs> very hot that's cool though but we had a we had a great time and i think uh you know being able to, to build that wall in the national training center it just it just all came together perfectly it's like such a huge deal because no one would have touched rock climbing if it hadn't been in a space that demanded respect in that space 
it's like where all the the greats of Jamaica train, whether it's the Usain Bolts or the Shelly Ann Fraser Prices or all these people who are like legends in Jamaica, they all train in that stadium. And so to have a climbing wall in the stadium, it's like automatically valid. Like even the kids walking through, uh, watching us build it, were like, what is that? Like, what are you guys building? And like, when is it open? Like, can we, when, when can we uh, try it out? And so it was like immediate interest where there literally wasn't any like climbing on at those crags. Everybody who walked by watching us climb on the mountain was like, no, no, no. Like, that's a white man thing. Like, I don't know what y'all are doing. Like, that's weird. Like, you know, but when it was in the stadium, it was like, oh, like, this is cool. Like, this has to be something. Mm. It was like an immediate like difference in recognition and respect. And I think that that goes a, a long way in establishing climbing as some form of like legitimate activity for people to do on the island and since the wall has grown the community has already started to grow over there in jamaica so yeah i don't know it's just exciting i could talk all day about it like i I love (laughs) i love working on that project (laughs) that's so cool yeah we didn't even explicitly say like what you guys did but you you went there to build jamaica's first ever climbing wall and you you put it in the uh national training center which um, like you're saying, is is where all these amazing athletes train. And um, was bolting routes and developing outdoor climbing part of the initial plan for the trip as well? Um, allegedly, uh, they they told me that it was going to happen, but I just assumed that if I didn't mention it, that it just would go away because <laughs> I was like, I was. I, <laughs> I just wasn't interested to be completely honest. That kind of tracks, and not because yeah. I mean I I appreciate the art of bolting. I mean it's needed. Like people have to be out there with the vision to see these climbs, to bolt them in order for us to have a climbing community, period. Like so much respect for it. Um, but it's just never been a thing that I aspired to because I was like, that process, you were getting down and dirty, literally. And that is not my thing. And so I, I was like, the whole process just seems kind of messy and like, yeah. you know, a little uh, like chaotic at times. And so I was just like, I, I'm good. You know, I like, I can appreciate the art form, but I think, I think it's also just from the perspective of a competition climber who only ever had time to do outdoor climbing, like on like spring breaks and stuff. It was just like, I never fully immersed myself in that world enough to want to be a part of it from like top to bottom. Uh, and so Doing that was odd. I got there and Gav's basically like, so I have your bolts and I have the drills and the hammer. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't know who's using that, but like, <laughs> great for you. <laughs> he's like, no, this is for, he's like, no, this is for you. And like, you know, he and uh, Juan, who's one of the community leaders in Jamaica, like they were like, we're, we're going to take you step by step. There's nothing to worry about. Like you can trust all the equipment that we're going to teach you. And I'm like, I believe them. But it was like, like a little nerve wracking. But once I actually got into it, I realized that it, it's not that bad. Like it actually isn't that bad of a process. It was just like, you know, the stigma in, in my head was so strong that I just assumed that I was going to be miserable. And I wasn't actually. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like anything, right? It really depends on so many factors like the set and setting. You know, you've spent enough time in the hurricane and, and kind of, um, you know, see, seen that place and felt the rock, you know, that like that was a construction project. That was a lot of freaking work to clean that rock up and 
both those roots and stuff. And it just depends. It depends on the cliff, the quality of the rock, how much cleaning needs to be done and all that stuff. But did you enjoy it when it was all said and done? Is that something that you have any interest in doing more of now? Or was that like, cool, I scratched that itch and I don't need to ever do it again? Well, I think I actually did enjoy it. Um, but I think what made me enjoy it was like being able to see the line and like being inspired by what I was being like, what was put in front of me and, and be like, Oh, like, okay. Like that's the, that's what I want to bowl. And once I got excited about what I wanted to climb on, like the process felt worth it, you know, like, like repelling and cleaning and, you know, drilling and everything. It was like, it was a long process, but it was like, I was excited to climb on the roof. So I was like, I'm willing to do all this in order to, to get that done. And I, it was cool because like I kind of like walked out and they were just like, you can bowl anywhere and do anything, you know. And I'm much more attracted to aesthetic lines than I am, you know, find, trying to find like maybe the little holds or things that may fit my style or whatever. And so my first thought when I walked around is everyone was looking at the rocks that were going down the walkway, but I was like, I want to climb near the waterfall because that rock looks so cool. Like it's all the holes. It almost looks like a beehive. And this, you have this beautiful waterfall that's going next to you. And I was just like, it's so peaceful because you have no choice considering how loud the waterfall is to be connected with yourself and with the rock. And I feel like that process is like, I don't know, like kind of why I got into the sport to begin with. And so I feel like I, just, I saw the line, thought it was beautiful, and I was like, that one. And so they, they taught me how to repel the roof. I drilled it out, and it ended up just feeling perfect. Mm. Like, uh, trypophobia was like, I have to say, like, a really gratifying experience. Being able to, like, feel out the moves, because I feel like another thing that was kind of scary is, like, what if I bolt this line and it doesn't work? Like, it's not climbable, you know? Like, it's, like, there's too many gaps or, like, like or or if I'm the only one tall enough to reach through the spaces that are empty, you know. But um, luckily, everything worked out. And from the people who've tried it after me, they said it's a pretty enjoyable route as well. So I'm happy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have uh, any favorite memory or memories from the trip? My favorite memory, the food. The food was so good. The oxtails, the beans and rice, the plantains. I love food, Stephen. <laughs> so that was really a good memory. Um, and I also would have to say, like day one, like right before we got to into the nitty gritty of the climbing part of things, uh, we took a day of sightseeing. And I didn't know what that would entail, but I mean, I was like, it's Jamaica. Everything has to be beautiful and. It was it's like we took a boat ride to this like beach island on the coast of Kingston. And, you know, when I talk about the people being lively, like everybody is just naturally friendly and giving. Like we like got to the beach and walked off and there was immediately this man, you know, DJing with his own equipment that he brought there, like in this little like shack. And he was teaching everybody who walked by, like how to do these TikTok dances that, that were popular <laughs> in Jamaica. He was like. He was like trying to teach me, and I was just like, I was like, I don't know, like I have like to have two left feet, like I have rhythm, but that's about it. Like, <laughs> so I'm gonna do my best. But it was so much fun. Like he had so much knowledge to give, and like everybody was like just like just so nice, and it was such a beautiful experience. And also being able to do it with my mom, because I feel like mm. it, it's so often that I've drugged my mom all around the world to places that she didn't want to be. 
of that. She, when we finally got to go to a Caribbean island, she was like, yes, a place I actually would want to go to, like a, a bucket list place for me. So I was like, I was like, honey, finally brought you to a beach, mama, I promise. <laughs> She's like, finally, I'm not in a dirty cave. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, she was so excited. I love it. That's great. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, what's going on with Climbing for Change? Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like there's always something going on with Climbing for Change. <laughs> um, I think going into this year, uh, I've kind of made the decision that for me, the, the, for me, the work has always been the most important. You know, like I have no problems with like, you know, working with communities and structuring new, new programs, like consulting with people and like not posting about it on social media or anything because that was like, like that part of things, like I've always done it in a way that wasn't public. And so like, I just feel like, you know, I, I didn't think anything of it, but I, I started to realize even going into this year that it's like, it is important to keep people updated on the work that's going on, especially, you know, if we're gonna have people donating and have people be a part of the process. It's like, it is important to pe keep people in the know. And so I've been a lot more cognizant this year with, you know, sharing the work that I'm doing with Climate for Change and, you know, whether it's new grants that we're releasing, new programs that we're doing, new partnerships. And so there's a lot of things on the horizon uh, for 2024 that are kind of floating around. But I think that as a lot of people know, like when, when you're doing city work and working with bureaucracy, uh, it's another situation where you, you you can't count those chickens before they hatch. Like you really have to like, you know, go through the process and, all the approvals and all the committees before you can really start announcing things because you know what's a project that you think is going to happen in august really could happen in august of next year <laughs> <laughs> or the year after mm -hmm. you know and so i will just say the fact that we have a lot of cool things happening and in the meantime like we are always offering like the grants that we have uh, a slew of them whether it's you know our competition climbing grants, our Vention Outside grant. You know, we're always focused on like, helping individuals, organizations, just like get the resources that they need to really expand the community work that's going on in their communities. So like always doing something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so cool. Um, what are you most proud, of, what are you proudest of as far as climbing for change goes? Like what, is there a story or a person's life that you've changed or, a, you know, a gym that you've changed or brought to life or um, any one thing that, that really stands out as like the proudest thing so far? Oh my gosh. Steven, you just asked me which kid is my favorite. That's not fair. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I did. That was a bad question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I I don't I don't know. I feel like it's just so gratifying being able to read the trip reports and the people the messages that I get from people we've given grants to, or even from people who've been affected by the programs that we've helped uh, others create. Because it's like when I was coming up in the sport, it really just feels like all the stars had to align uh for everything to work out because i mean my mom was a single parent raising me like on a teacher salary and it was like i mean going into a sport like this it's expensive it's not super accessible it's time consuming and so 
in order for it to work, like it really took a village, like so many people at different steps of the way, just being willing to give their time. I mean, sometimes money and like an energy to really support me in a way that only one person couldn't have done. And so I feel so blessed to be here. It feels like it's a combination of things by chance, along with, you know, of course, hard work and stuff that if, if I could build an infrastructure to create that environment for other people, it, it, it's, you know, that's the goal. And so to see people be affected by that, to be able to enter the sport through that, or, you know, see people whose programs like have literally changed their lives. Like we deal with all types of people, you know, uh, veterans, uh, ex, ex felons, like, you know, people who all they're looking for in life is a second chance, you know? And, and so to be able to create programs that provide that for them and help recenter them and really give them hope in life or even in this industry, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's always just, it's just gratifying. Like every story that I read, it makes me smile. It makes it like makes the process worth it. it. Makes those 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 long unnecessary meetings worth it. <laughs> all the work that we do. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I can't pick one. I can't. Like I mean, the project that we did in Atlanta was amazing. Um, the, the grants and in, in the and the uh, the festivals even that we were able to the fund. Uh, we we funded like Blackout Fest and we've done work with uh, Rocks Fest and Memphis Rocks. Uh, we've, we've just done so many projects, so many people that like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't pick one. You, you can't, you can't force me to do that. <laughs> I'll lay off. Don't worry. No, that was a beautiful answer. I appreciate just hearing more about, um, about the stuff you've done and what it means to you. And, um, yeah, it's so Before cool we continue, that you, have, wait, 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 wait. Before yeah. we continue, I have to like know that my battery is dying. Okay. And so I do need to get my charge. Okay. Go do it. Go do it. Cause that would be a disaster. They give me one second. <laughs> Okay. I think, wait, hold on. Actually, let me make sure. I'm just charging. Okay, great. Nice. All right, we're good. <clears throat> well, man, that is so cool. It's so beautiful to hear how you are paying it forward and um, passing on what you've been given, giving so many people uh, all the support and opportunities that you've that you've had and, and so much more beyond that. Um, how are you getting support for Climbing for Change these days? Is it is it primarily from donations from people? And can we tell people how to support you guys and where to donate? Um, are you getting support from brands or anything else? Or is it mostly donations? I mean, it's a piecemeal process. I mean, we do get support from brands. I mean, we have a lot of uh, moniker grants where where brands will sponsor uh, certain grants that we offer in order to like fulfill a niche that they want and that we, that, that we suggest for them. Um, and then we, we will sometimes have, have corporate donations, but uh, a lot of it also is uh, those individual donations. You know, collectively, they make a big difference. And especially since 2020, I think it's been a general consensus in the industry across the board, whether it's for-profit or nonprofit, that uh, resources are a bit tight and there's a lot of restructuring going on uh, after COVID. And so it has been uh, a bit harder to get some of those uh, donations that we were getting perhaps in the beginning. And so I think now more than ever, we've been much more reliant on the individual donations that kind of keep the the wheels turning and the processes moving. And so, yeah, like we really, really appreciate people, people donate because I mean, the work that we do is not concentrated to any specific community. We do work that structurally, uh, Increase the diversity across the industry from like multiple facets 
from multiple approaches. And, and some of those can be uh, like quite costly. So when we can get those donations through the Climate for Change, like it means a lot to us. So yeah, like, I mean, if you want to support, if you want to donate, which we highly appreciate, uh, you know, no, no amount is too small. Uh, you could go to our website, uh, climbing the number four change.org and go to our donate page to donate. Um, also like we're also on Instagram at climbing the number four change and like the link in our bio goes straight to our donation page. Um, also I have it in my bio on my Instagram and social media is Kyle, Kyle Leitner. Um, because yeah, like, I just feel like we, we do a lot of cool work. And I'm gonna put more effort into showing all of the work that we do this year. Um, but in order for it to be possible, we have to have the funds to really have community impact. So yeah, but any amount helps. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll link I'll put all those links right there in people's podcast app. So you can scroll down, click on the link right there and donate. Um that's everything on my list, guy. Say, What's that? I was about to say, I don't, I don't know if you want anybody to know this because you are quite like, one of our really like good donors, like consistent, great. Like you've, you've given so much money and, and, and also like, you know, regard to climate for change. And for that, I say like, thank you, you know, like having the support and, and having people like you really believe in the mission and the work that we do at climate for change. Like it means, it means a lot, you know, because it's one thing to do the work, but it's another to know that it's being appreciated. So mm. thank you. Oh, you're welcome, man. And that's not just me. That's, um, I don't know if you know this, but that was um, a really fun collaboration that I did on my Patreon for a long time. There was one of the tiers was if you sign up for 15 bucks a month, then half of it goes to Climbing for Change. So that was actually like a collective from lots of lots of people who support me, who also want to support you. And it's still going. All, all those people are still supporting every month, which is so awesome. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's really cool to see to see it add up. You know, like I mean, it's like seven bucks a month coming from you know hundreds of people or whatever, or, or like dozens of people, and it, it really adds up to something meaningful. And um, so, yeah, you're you're welcome coming from me, but also I want to extend that thank you to all the patrons listening and all the people who've. Uh, who've jumped on that and, and supported you guys. It's very, very cool. Thank you. So, I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> well, we'll, keep, we'll keep it going. Anything else? Anything else that uh, you're excited to talk about or anything else you want to share or let people know about before I let you go? Um, I don't know. I, I think I can't think of anything else. <laughs> when do you leave for your trip? <laughs> I do think right but say right now I'm just unpacking for my my Washington trip. So I'm like doing my laundry and stuff. So just so I can repack the same suitcase for a month long trip. Uh, so I'm like, you know, I'm always moving. Those must be very different. Uh, I'm imagining your packing list, and they must be very different lists. You've got like your suit and tie for Washington, and then you've got your climbing clothes and everything for your month-long climbing trip i was so excited i was like why don't i get to dress up i never <laughs> i never get to dress up <laughs> i was like i i put my outfit together and i was like i think i had to co-sign it uh for my friends before i could go <laughs> in front it was it was really cool let's talk, I think the coolest thing was let's talk about like, that real quick ahead. yeah what, what did you do so i saw your instagram thing you testified in uh in washington house committee what was that for yeah, because well, I hadn't done a legislative work like that since uh, I declined uh, climb the hill. 
uh, several years ago. But uh, basically, yeah, I was invited out by the Washington Indoor Climate Coalition to speak on behalf of a bill uh, that would basically help uh, get climbing designated as a sporting, uh, oh, sorry, I guess a sporting, oh God, I always mess up this this wording, uh, sporting, not arena, but what's it called? Rec- recreation? I experienced firsthand the power that climbing has. remember the proper wording. <laughs> but um, basically, like, having climbing be recognized as a sport and having climbing gyms be recognized as a place that hosts sports, that trains sports instead of being amusement. Because I don't think a lot of people even realize the fact that in a lot of states, uh, climbing isn't explicitly uh, taken out of the like amusement section of legislation. And so you would need an amusement permit in order to operate a climbing gym. Oh, wow. And the liability that that requires, it would, I mean, I feel like a lot of insurance, it would be difficult to get insurance companies to sign along. You know, it, it leaves you at, at risk of, I mean, basics that are normal in our sport. Like the fact that like, once you tie into a rope and you leave the ground, no, no matter how much knowledge that you're taught, no matter what happens, like we are no longer in control of what you do. So if, if something happens on, from a user error perspective, that is common sense for any average climber, that could lead to litigation because under the law, it's the responsibility of the gym, whereas culturally it typically wouldn't be. And so like it just opened the, the, the door for like a lot of things. And I mean, climbing gyms are at the core of the work that we do at Climbing for Change, because as many of us know, as you know, like a lot of the communities of climbing start in gyms. Like climbing is synonymous with community. And so you, you you literally can't grow the sport without having climbing gyms being uh, brought up in different inner city metropolitan areas. And we can't do the efforts that we do at Climate for Change or creating programs that are accessible for people if they're not in inner cities and aren't allowed to grow. And so it felt like, you know, a responsibility of mine to be able to speak on behalf of my organization and be like, hey, like this work means a lot. And uh, I'm not sure what context, uh, the law was written under, but climbing is a lot more than just like some thrill-seeking adventure sport. Like it's a sport that combines so many crucial elements to create something that's not only like physical, but like therapeutic, like in can be just holistically fulfilling for a lot of people. And it's created like op- job opportunities, you know, like livelihoods, like people really fully immerse themselves in the sport as a lifestyle for a lifetime. So it's like, we really have to consider like, you know, putting climbing in the proper category, considering that it's also an Olympic sport. Yeah. Like, how can you operate in the Olympics and not be considered a sporting uh, recreation place? Totally. It's interesting. Yeah, that's so, very... I'm glad that I was able to, do, to speak on that. That's very cool. So I actually just brought up your post. I'm going to read part of it. And people probably heard uh, you talking over yourself because I <laughs> accidentally forgot to mute your Instagram post as I pulled it up on my computer. But but yeah, you wrote... Uh, Despite being an Olympic sport, current legislation across many states classify climbing gyms as amusement structures opposed to sporting facilities. This classification leaves gyms open to massive lawsuits and a higher level of liability that could be difficult to sustain. So yeah, that's really interesting. Like if you have a weightlifting gym and someone like is trying to bench press more than they can do and they drop the bar on themselves, it makes sense that you know, the gym's not at risk of being shut down or something like that. But, um, but yeah, having the amusement structure 
for climbing gyms makes it seem as though the gym has to protect you and keep you safe no matter what, even though really like the, you know, the responsibility for that safety in part at least is within the climber's hands. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I feel like for a lot of people who don't understand is that uh, this legislation impacts smaller gyms significantly more than even the larger gym chains because you know when you're slapped with a, a cease and desist and told that you can't open your gym until you get a, a an amusement uh, permit i mean most smaller gyms just don't have the money set aside to do like uh, large litigation cases mm -hmm. and so they're either forced to close or forced to sell to someone else and you know those smaller gyms are really integral to the, the climate communities where our sport started and so we really have to like support that uh, and so I feel like passing this legislation and making like it like a sweeping uh, designation, it, it goes a long way in like just saving our, like, the culture of our sport at its core. So, yeah, yeah, I'm proud of being a part of it. That's awesome. What, do you know the status of the of the bill at this stage? And can can we do anything like is there anything think, we can sign or <laughs> anything to help support? Yeah. That's I think that's what that's what hurt the most. I think. Uh, when I was writing this post and I was talking to, you know, the CWA and some other people, I was kind of like, you know, if I post this, the first question everyone's going to ask is, what can we do? And what can we do? <laughs> and basically the, the consensus right now is the fact that this uh, this movement is so much in its infancy that right now is the, the main goal is like just creating some form of legislative structure that we know can get passed uh that we can start to replicate in other states across the country because washington is the uh one of the first to really push this uh to getting passed and i think it's pretty close to a, a place where it will probably get passed by the legislation uh the, the legislature you know knock on wood but you know once that happens and they can handle all the you know the legal wording and matters that are going on like then we could start calling on people to help and maybe start pushing these initiatives in their own states because it's just, it's such a process. You know, the law is complicated and, you know, like long. So it's like once, yeah. So we can, you gotta do all that bureaucratic work behind the scenes before we can start, you know, creating infrastructures that people can actually get behind the support. So mm -hmm. just like the best advice I can, I can say is like just staying knowledgeable and updated on the, the things that are going on in your own state and you know i i put some links in my bio that like bring it to the cwa's website that brings you to the website of uh the washington state legislature which like lets you know more about the bill and also its process to getting passed like you know every step of the way and so that's where i would redirect you if you wanted to learn more and to know more in general okay right on man you're an inspiring guy kai as always really appreciate you for coming back on and chatting with me. It's really good to catch up with you. Um, congratulations again on Life of Villains. And also, maybe more importantly, on everything that you're doing in this community and the ways in which you're um, you're giving back. You're giving back so much more than... Um, yeah, I mean, you're giving back so much more than you need to, you know, and I know that you love it and it's important to you and uh, meaningful to you, but it's difficult work. And yeah, I just am inspired by you. I really appreciate you. Thank you. And uh, best of luck on your project. Can't wait to hear about it. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. I like this show. <laughs> that means a lot. <laughs> that means a lot, man. Of course. <laughs> Of course. All right. What you got in store for the rest of your day? 
Um, I'm actually supposed to be going outdoor climbing with Drew in like three hours. Uh, with Drew, so, uh, Ruana? Drew Ruana. Right yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, he's been trying to give me uh, outdoor bouldering for the longest. And I keep telling him that it's too cold. <laughs> I was like, it was yeah. literally in the negatives uh, like a, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, you will not see me outside at all. Where I've are you going to go? Temperatures before. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually know. I think I think probably uh, near one of Drew's projects, um, but I also told Drew that I was uninterested in watching him climb <laughs> like all day and not being able to do anything because I'm like, <laughs> I'm not trying some V17 project. <laughs> it's, it's not what I'm training for at the moment. I would like to yeah. be a little more chiller. Yeah, I, 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 I will admit that I don't have a ton of confidence in my outdoor bouldering because I just don't do it very often. And so I like to, you know, ease a little. I do it more for fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, following every other move on a V17 is not that fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> but he, re he reassured me that wouldn't happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm we'll sure. See. I'll, I'll keep you updated. Nice. Yeah. Keep us all updated. Post about on Instagram. I want to see what you guys end up doing. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fun, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like warmer weather. We're we're through that cold snap. That was crazy. I I I'm in down in Waco right now, so we kind of dodged it. But uh, my girlfriend's in Boulder, and yeah, she was going on a walk one day. It was like a high of three degrees outside, or something like that. It's just three degrees Fahrenheit. Just absolutely crazy. <laughs> it's it way too crazy. cold. Like, no, I was. We were going to Fort Collins, or a, like we just wanted to train. A bunch of us went to Ascent, uh, and. We were going out there and I was like, wow, like it's bitter. Like I've never felt cold like this. Like it hurts yeah. to breathe a little. And I <laughs> yeah. went inside to see how cold it was because I I just had never experienced anything like that. And it said negative five. And I was like, that's not that's not right. <laughs> so I I restarted the app. And then I clicked it again and it said the same thing. And I Googled it, got cross-referenced in Google and it also said negative five. And I was like, that's, that's insane. Being from North Carolina, I never thought that I would see negative temperatures in person. So I was like, I was like this isn't meant for me. I'm out of my element. <laughs> <laughs> Your nose hairs are freezing. <laughs> Literally, like yeah. I, I, from the walk from the gym to the car, like the boogers in my nose froze. Like, totally. like that's how cold it was. I was like, wow, that's not okay. It's not okay. It's too cold, but seems like we're back to normal. So yeah, hopefully you have a good bouldering day with Drew. I think so. I mean, yeah, I always enjoy Drew's company. We've spent literally our entire lives sitting right next to each other. <laughs> Whether it was like in the chair for youth nationals or like open nationals or any competition, any competition really we were ever in, we were always like, you know, one and two, one and two, one and two. And so we <laughs> spent a lot of time sitting in chairs together. <laughs> and so we, we just like built up a rapport that, you know, we're just, we're just good friends. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure it'll be fun. All right, man. Um, I've got an admin day. I've got a bunch of emails to tackle. I think I'm going to let you go, but I really appreciate you doing this. Um, I'd love to get some photos from you to share with people or to, to you know, share the episode. Um, I'll be in touch with you about that. I'll just send you a message. But yeah, thank you again. Really good to catch up with you. Awesome. Yeah, it's 
always great to catch up with you. Thank you. Pleasure. All right, man. All right. See you later. I'll catch you next time.